The Paul Kaharski Podcast is brought to you by Yazoo Brewing Company, a Nashville original since 2003. Welcome into the Paul Kuharski Podcast. Yes, from paulkuharski.com, I am Paul Kuharski. As you know, I always start with three mentions of my name to pound it into your head. This is a rare session that is recorded after dark. I'm an afternoon podcaster, but today... Um, being Wednesday, John Robinson and Mike Vrabel both spoke in conference calls to the Titans press corps. And I've recruited another member of said press corps, Buck Reesing, as he is called by Benjamin Albright, my good friend and Buck Reising's enemy, uh, Buck of A to Z sports. I've been on his podcast several times, his most highly rated episodes, I don't know if he could do the same here, but I'm optimistic. How are we doing, Buck? Chief, I want nothing more in my life, and maybe this is a project that we explore since there's nothing else going on in the quarantine world. I want a Donald Trump impersonator to read the lines that you just delivered, line for line. You have some very Trumpian tendencies. Has anybody ever told you that? No, no. I uh, <laughs> start off by not. I haven't. I haven't lied or made anything up. So no, far no, no, no. It's very, it's very. It's, it's the Paul Kaharski podcast at paulkaharski.com. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be the greatest podcast you've ever seen. I can hear it in my head. Uh, you have no idea how complicated these respirators are. They're, it's like making a spaceship. Uh, and it's going to be the most beautiful spaceship that you've ever seen. I thought it would be interesting if we kind of reviewed these conference calls together uh, and kind of maybe played ping pong with them, table tennis, if you will, with our um, biggest takeaways. So I said I'd go first, then we'll, we'll hit it back and forth. You could follow Buck at Buck Rising on um, Twitter, and we'll give him a chance later on to plug his work at A to Z, a fine operation that is uh, done tremendous work creating a niche for itself. Uh, I respect all the guys over there a great deal. Um, so here's what I came to, Buck, and uh, I kind of stumbled into this as I was kind of making notes on both calls and kind of uh, trimming it down to bite-size nuggets. And that was Vrabel saying that Jeffrey Simmons, let me get the exact quote here as I get to one of my pages here, and I should have had it more ready, and I've already written a story about it, and I don't have it in front of me, so I should just paraphrase it, is working at the facility with Todd Torricelli and Frank Pirano the director of sports medicine and the strength and conditioning coach. And I don't know if anybody else picked up on this. I haven't really scanned through what other people have done, but this is big because the only people allowed in the facilities, which were declared shut down earlier. And then the memo uh, dated March 16th said the only people allowed in there are guys who are legitimately rehabbing injuries with people like Frank and Todd and Vrabel in, in Simmons came up a few times in these calls, actually said that Simmons is over there doing this, which is rehab still roughly 14 months removed from his ACL surgery. He played nine out of 10 regular season games and all three playoff games. We knew he wasn't fully himself, 
but that he qualifies for this sort of rehab and is getting that work in while everybody else is off on their own is very notable to me. And I, I uh, now have come to rank it as the top thing I learned today. I didn't notice until I saw you tweet out uh, that you had picked up on this. And, and it's something I've been kind of curious about, Chief, because Rabel's made allusions to Jeffrey Simmons playing through discomfort a couple times. And, you know, we really don't know the extent of the discomfort, just how much of Jeffrey Simmons we saw last year. But it's, it's not like Mike's really shied away from it, especially when you consider the thing he's touchiest on is these injuries. The, the idea that he still qualifies for this kind of rehab is hugely intriguing. It was my understanding, and I'm not sure – what what you were able to gather over the course of last season, but it was my understanding we saw about 70% of what they think Jeffrey Simmons could actually be mm. at full strength. And this is still a very young player, still physically developing to a degree, as crazy as that is to think about. And I guess it would be more in line with what the conventional thinking was before he came back in October that, yeah, this is going to take some time. I guess we just really didn't, understand the level of discomfort that Simmons was playing through. Plus, um, I know people are still largely upset about the Jarrell Casey trade, but if you really think about it, the Titans have two defensive linemen on the field a good share of the time. They may have gone deeper there because of their lack of outside linebacker options, um, especially with Cam Wake out. Um, after what was it, seven games, um, and their lack of effect from that group where Casey maybe stayed on the field more almost as an outside linebacker sometimes. But really, if they're healthy and if this outside linebacker group, which lacks a superstar, certainly, but now at least has conceivably five decent bodies with some decent potential. There's not a Javon curse there, but it is a reasonably um, good group of guys with potential that could be developed by Mike Vrabel, who played some outside linebacker and can get guys to play hard and effectively. Um, you know, is there a 15 sack guy there? Probably not. Could there be two 10 sack guys or two eight sack guys and a six sack guy, you know, maybe, and they don't put a premium on sacks the way we want them to, but could there be several guys who help alter things optimistically? Yes. If they can field the kind of guys they want at outside linebacker out of this bunch, which we'll get to talk to more then Daquan Jones and Jeffrey Simmons may be the only two defensive linemen on the field in plenty of situations, in which case Jarrell Casey could have conceivably made it a little crowded now you have Crawford who's kind of the Austin Johnson guy and you know if we're going to see a hundred percent Jeffrey Simmons and he's kind of the guy we saw against the Chargers I could see how Casey's more expendable than a lot of people thought at that price given that he was more of an up and down guy last year it was banged up last year and I think they desperately want to be younger and uh, and don't want to overpay anybody. My God, that windup was longer than any of the windups for your press conference questions. You just well, that wasn't really a question. This is a conversation, Chief. 
conversation. No, I understand. I just there's there's many many points there for me to attack, and I don't I just don't know where to start. No, because the Casey thing is, are people really up that upset about Jarrell Casey getting traded away, Paul? Or are they upset that there hasn't been a corresponding move to their liking? I think both. I get that. I think okay, both. there's sentimental I, attachment. It's hard to uh, burn away here. No, and for somebody who has been so so passionate about the level of care that he that he took with this franchise and, and telling us, you know, if I can't win a Super Bowl here, I don't want to win a Super Bowl anywhere else. And then, you know, a couple weeks later or a month, a couple months later, he's traded off for a seventh round pick. And, people and there's pissed. so few good players over the last, what, eight, ten years. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the best third round draft picks in the history of the Titans. Kevin Byard is going to go down as one. But Drew Casey might be tops when it comes to longevity and, and productivity. This is, but this is a great point that you make, Paul, because this is, this is what we're going to look at when we try to evaluate the differences between what Dean Pease was doing last year and what Mike Vrabel and company, we still don't know exactly what the defensive play calling situation is. At least Mike is telling us that they don't have clarity on that yet. And his, he was alluding to involvement, but just the degree of involvement that he'll have, we'll see a lot more matchup-driven defensive football with these pieces that, as John Robinson says, they feel like there's some ability or skill set there that they could hone. That was specifically about Vic Beasley, but they felt the same way about a guy like Correa, a guy who was a second-round pick, uh, guys who they can platoon in a way that you don't have overwhelming top-end talent assuming that we'll, we'll touch on the Clowney stuff, but assuming that there is no Jadavion Clowney on the horizon, at least you can rotate able bodies in there with a variety of skill sets. Maybe Reggie Gilbert doesn't even make the roster because I think in theory, DeAndre Walker is supposed to be Reggie Gilbert plus some. There's a lot of different body types. There's a lot of different abilities that they bring. I saw you write about Paul, at paulkoharski.com about Beasley and Harold Landry perhaps being too similar, I think Correa doesn't totally mitigate uh, don't doesn't totally mitigate the differences in the skill sets of those guys. But I think mm-hmm. he brings a little something extra, and I think he brings a little. I just think they like the energy that they have in him, and that they finally got him to play within his role and not be too out of place with the way that he played football. Remember when they were heading into the Baltimore game, and they, Mike was telling us, you know, it's almost as much about guys not playing too fast because Lamar will beat you that way. He'll use your speed against you. You saw how valuable Correa could be when he wasn't overplaying things in a way I think early in his career he was guilty of. Here's one final thought on Simmons, shockingly for me, pessimistic. And I'm sure it's different for bigger guys. I'd have to look at the Conklin timetable also. And this probably fits with the Conklin timetable. But if it's an issue 14 months out, is is that a sign of trouble? I think it's a sign of – I think it, it's something to be approached with caution. Because uh, I think if you went back and asked Rabel about how they handled Jack Conklin in bringing him back in Rabel's first year doing things, and Jack clearly – so far diminished to the point that Dennis Kelly was the clear and obvious better player at right tackle 
in the 2018 season. I think they are hugely cautious since then about bringing guys back too soon. But yeah, that's fair. It's, it's fair to wonder. I just I don't know what the precedent is for a guy like that, Paul. He's just such a genetic, genetically different individual. But to even have brought him back the way that they did in, in October against the Chargers in Tannehill's first start – and the impact that he was able to have all throughout the course of the year, if that's 70%, I think they have a little more cushion to work with, even you know, even if you approach it cautiously. While you hope for no setback. Jeffrey Simmons, my number one takeaway out of Robinson and Vrabel on Wednesday. Next on the list for you, with that being off the board, what would yours be? Well, it's got to be the clowny stuff, right? It's it's John saying today that they had had initial conversations, that there's nothing imminent on the table with Logan Ryan, but they've obviously reached out to a player who was one of their unrestricted free agents, and that they're apparently still in on Clowney. Now, what he didn't say is exactly when this contact with Clowney's representation was made, because Titans Twitter ran with this as if this was new news, as if this was something different than what we've been talking about for the better part of three weeks, two or three weeks at this point, which was the Titans were showing interest in Clowney. I don't think that has ever changed. I think that what, what we've come to learn is the biggest issue for Clowney with all of these teams was guaranteed money and the years attached to the deal. It doesn't sound like he wants to do a long-term deal with a team. He wants to hit the market again in, in almost an, an NBA-style contract. But Robinson acknowledging that they had had conversations with Clowney and that they were looking to extend Derrick Henry sometime before training camp, I think are the two biggest uh, bits of actual news that came out of this thing. The clowny comment, though, is is so soft and tepid. We have touched base with Clowney's representation, too, and just kind of seeing and trying to navigate where that one might be. I mean, that's about as tepid a, yes, we've talked to Clowney confirmation as there could be. The other thing you didn't mention there and the reasons why not is the health, which he went on to answer a follow-up question about. Yeah, yeah, the not getting a, a checkup on somebody is, is a big deal. He didn't go on to say Clowney's got a lot of things we would want to check up on, but that's kind of an obvious piece of it. That's really nothing. I, I haven't been on Twitter much since this. You have more than I. I would have thought the thing that would have given it legs was, and I asked the question uh, of, of Vrabel, but because Vrabel coached him, when they were together in Houston, I wanted to get the the effort thing cleared up. And I presumed that Mike would give him an endorsement. And he did. He said, played them all over and had no questions about his effort. He played hard for me. I thought that would give it more legs than John saying, yeah, just kind of seeing and trying to navigate where that one might be. That's nothing. Um, and again, no. I don't know when it was the timetable on it. Uh, you know, Diana Rossini reported he's down from 20 to 17 or 18. That's not new. That's been out there for 10 days already. And he'd have to come down a hell of a lot more from, 
for me to think it was a wise investment for the Titans to get involved. And again, I feel a lot better in the outside linebacker group than I, than I have. Um, they've got bodies there. I'm a hell of a lot more concerned with cornerback. Yeah. And, and I think things are shaping up for exactly the same reasons that you're talking about how many down linemen they play. It does shape up for them to address corner more than likely in the early rounds of the draft. I think, that these moves would indicate as much, regardless of how the outside linebacker room changes or if it changes at all. With Clowney, I, honestly, Paul, it reads it reads to me, and it, 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 listening back to it, it sounded kind of like him talking about Henry at the Combine, where it was, you know, Derek's a great player, uh, carried our team, great in the community. We're going to say all these nice things. The fan base is going to love it. We're going to do everything in our power to keep him here, and then we're going to slap him with the franchise tag that he's not going to like. But at least we said the, the nice things on the front end. Like, I kind of, it kind of reads to me like John just paying lip service to fans who are looking for some kind of solution in the absence of, of Jarrell Casey and saying, yeah, you know, we, were, we have made contact. We're still kind of working through where those things are, but at least a public acknowledgement that the Titans – were trying to do something or had potential interest in Clowney. I didn't read into it much deeper than that. I thought he was just kind of kind of playing the hits. A pause here to promote the fine people who make this all possible. Uh, I was out on one of my shopping expeditions lately. And while the store is out of a lot of stuff, you know who continues to supply my local grocery store? Yazoo Brew. All the varieties of Yazoo Brew, fully stocked and ready to go. And let's be honest, when we're working from home, the refrigerator calls to us. And at a certain time of day, there are certain things we could take out of the refrigerator a little more comfortably at home, get a bottle opener, open that nice uh, red and white bottle cap off the Yazoo, in my case, Hefeweizen, and... Uh, it adds some comfort in these disturbing times. They've been a big supporter of mine. I urge you to be a big supporter of theirs. You can't go wrong. There's something for everybody. Nashville's best beer by far, Yazoo. Check it out if you haven't already. If you get a six-pack, get a 12-pack. If you get a 12-pack, get a case. Drop one on the porch of your neighbor, uh, socially distant, and surprise them. Take my advice on the Derrick Henry stuff. I didn't think anything was surprising there. Both sides, you know, want a long-term deal. I think some of it's lip service because I think the Titans might be perfectly happy with back-to-back -back tags that would amount to $22 million over two years. And then you're out a year early instead of a year late. But I thought the interesting thing was that Robinson said, yeah, we'll get back into that, you know, a little bit before camp ramps up. Well, camp ramps up at the end of July and there's a deadline on July 15th after which you can't negotiate with the tagged guy. I think maybe that kind of slipped his mind at the time and he would have set a different date if he caught himself on that. I didn't think it was priority now because there's a lot going on, but um, I think the longer you don't get to it, the less likely it is anything gets done if they start talking at the beginning of July, I think the odds of a long-term deal by July 15th are, are low. Um, and I was just struck by him saying, yeah, as camp ramps up with that July 15th deadline hanging there, even if it was a mistake, 
uh, it showed he wasn't super conscious of the timetable. Well, and given the fact that we have no idea what when camp ramps up is going to look like, given everything that's going on with, with football. I mean, Mike Rabel is saying they're preparing to start off-season programs remotely, just as we all work from home in these in these strange circumstances. Now, I mean, we, we, we kind of knew this, right? Like they, if they wanted to extend him, even before trading Jarrell, like they had the money to do this. I don't think that the smartest thing to do, and it's, I've heard many people mention this, is what you're saying is to tag him twice. Now, whether he's unhappy about that or not, I still think that you get a fairly productive Derrick Henry. Like, I don't think they're concerned about that. But the, the flexibility prior to the $10 million and change that they cleared up for 2020 with trading Jarrell to Denver, they could have done this. I just, why would they, why would there be, what, what pressure is on them, I guess, other than to make Derrick happy? Like, there's nothing that stands out to me as, as, as this needs to be Priority number one, even as he's earned long-term money, even as he's earned security, I think for what he was able to do, I think he deserves that. I don't think he's going to get it here because if they were going to do that, it would have already been done, no? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. They've, They've got probably very different visions of his value. And I think in today's league, if you want that kind of vision of your value, you better be Christian McCaffrey kind of playing two different versions of running back at the same time. And we know Derrick Henry, as good as he is, he plays very much one version of running back. Backup quarterback is a position the Titans have uh, nothing at unless you buy the praise they heaped on Logan Woodside today. It wasn't extreme, but both Robinson and uh, Vrabel had nice things to say. Robinson called uh, what landed Woodside on practice squad IR, which I'd never previously heard of, a little procedure. And Vrabel touted uh, Woodside's Friday meeting weekly with Pat O'Hara as uh, a big deal, you know, that, that made it mentally that Woodside was ready as if he was going to play quarterback for the Titans every week. You buying the idea that the, they they think Woodside is ready and willing, ready and able, not willing, he's certainly willing, ready and able to compete with whoever they get because the veteran market sucks to the degree that when Cody Kessler was cut today, I was like, mm, maybe. Oh, come on. Give me Blake Bortles. How much fun would that be? That would be just an unmitigated disaster. And I, I hear he's a – Here's an interesting personality. I think I would enjoy covering Bortles, but it would do the. It would be like putting Blake Gabbard in the lineup. You're good. There's no fixing. There's no fixing that hitch. There's there's nothing. The 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 problems that Blake Bortles and a lot of these backup quarterbacks that are out there, because people say Dalton, and without understanding that you actually have to trade for Andy Dalton, there's not a lot out there. I am kind of buying. How about Flacco? How about Flacco? His neck isn't falling off. I mean, if Flacco could pass a physical. Stop that. Stop He'd be that better right than anybody now. else. He better than anybody else that's available. Yes. I don't disagree with that. Joe Flacco looked like he could still probably muddle his way or pass interference his way down the field, um, even as they beat the Titans 16 to nothing, and he looked terrible doing it. 
of, of the available options, I don't disagree. I just think mobility for a quarterback is something that you really, really want. And I would honestly give Woodside a little bit of the edge. I know we can't look too much into preseason offense, but he ran things incredibly smoothly. Paul, you were somebody that was advocating for P.J. Walker, somebody they should legitimately consider uh, from the Houston Roughnecks of the XFL. I believe he's the backup now in Carolina. Woodside isn't P.J. Walker. He's not that exciting kind of player, but he does have the ability to move around, to, to make plays with these rollouts and boot actions that they used Tannehill and Mariota in when they were trying to make Marcus Mariota work with all of these things. And he's got game experience, if you want to count AAF. I know it's, I know it's less than, I know it's minor league, but I think they're confident in what he's kind of got if, if they have to put him in for a game or two, no? Uh, listen, I, I'm not remembering. Did he drop off at the very end of the preseason last year? He was good early. Did Did he fall off late in the preseason last year? No, I think, I mean, in the fourth preseason game, if I remember correctly, it just all looked like a terrible slog as fourth preseason games Which is tend fine. to do. And I, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's offensive linemen in front of him. It's the receivers that he's playing with. What, I'm sure if I went back and looked at Logan Woodside's numbers, there would be a degree of drop-off. And I'm not yeah. saying that Logan Woodside uh, – and I'm not saying that Logan Woodside is a viable long-term option. We just don't know enough about him. We haven't seen him in this role. But when – to your point, when you look at what else is out there, I mean, could he really be that much worse than Joe Flacco? No, but my thing is, last year he looked pretty darn good. We thought, my – they might have to keep him on the roster because quarterbacks are so bad around the league that somebody's going to take him and they didn't keep him on the roster and he didn't get a sniff. And then he went and got hurt on the practice squad. But if they didn't feel like they had to protect him and nobody else in the league wanted him, then I go to the, how good could he be? If 31 other teams with a lot of muddled quarterback situations one of them didn't say, you know what? That guy's too good to not bring in here as a third uh, and then to work to to get on our practice squad uh, by keeping him for, you know, what's the minimum they could keep him on the roster um, to work him there. So I then start to feel some doubt myself. I like him. I, I thought he was uh, good. But look, we got spoiled last year after disasters of Castle and Gabbert. Um, and then, you know, the the best backup quarterback situation you're ever going to see with the guy coming off the bench and earning himself a massive contract and, you know, s hitting two statistical benchmarks that put him on a list with Joe Montana and Sammy Baugh. And now you go back to that thing where the backup's going to be bad. I know a lot of people want to see a quarterback drafted you sign the guy for your deal. Well, they don't have enough draft picks. A, uh, the guy's not going to help you this year. B, if Tannehill gets hurt for a significant stretch of time, this guy's going to come in having had no practice reps, and he's not going to be able to do much for you. I just, I, I just don't see it. You got to use these draft picks for guys that are going to help you win now. 
And it's amazing to me how fast it goes from you got to lock up your quarterback to how fast can you get out of your quarterback's contract and have the next guy in line. So I'm all in on the Tannehill thing, and you draft a quarterback to me in two years now. um, you got to use these picks. There are a lot of needs for these three spots still, and I've Mm -hmm. softened, softened now on edge rusher, but I'm big, big on cornerback. I still am concerned with uh, right tackle because I'm not completely sold on Kelly as a 16-game guy. I really need a a premier third-down running back who has the potential to take over as the starter as early as next year, maybe in two years. Um, You know, edge slash defensive line I've I've softened on, but – there are a lot of needs there. I, I, I think a quarter cornerback almost certainly has to be is 75%. I'm, I'm given a corner in the first round, unless they make a big move. And the only big move left mm-hmm. is Logan, Logan Ryan back. What are you feeling about first, second round? I, it's, it almost has to be corner for what they're losing in Logan. Now, Logan is not, the coverage player, uh, I think people, I think people are are inflating Logan. I don't think Logan Ryan was anything short of of great last, anything less than great last year. But I do think people are inflating the impact that Logan had on a game, whether it be because he's a good blitzer and a solid tackler, just wasn't the same guy in coverage. And nobody is against the speed of Kansas City and some of these elite receivers that they were having to defend against, certainly in the playoffs with Hollywood Brown. But you desperately need speed on that side of the ball, given that you really don't know what Malcolm Butler, and I know it's a risk, and that's not that big of an impact injury for a corner. He's had plenty of time, and and one assumes that he'll at least be replacement-level play. But that's a hugely fluid situation. Uh, As we saw in his first couple months, uh, into his uh, into his first year here, I think. I mean, the right tackle, Dennis Kelly, I think, is a one-year solution. I I, I know that the three-year extension is what people are going to look at, and people are going to feel a little more confident in that. But it sounds like, based off, and I talked to John Ledyard, who helped start the draft network uh, for my podcast that'll come out tomorrow. John made it sound like there is solid right tackle depth, solid athletes to be found on day two uh, and potentially in the second and third rounds. It's, it's, it's corner at the top for me, um, but I just I can't help but think they've got to look interior defensive line still, Paul. I don't, I don't think that Daquan and Simmons and, and Crawford, Dickerson and Mack, you don't know which of those guys, I doubt sincerely both of them, and this is kind of what you're looking for, guys to replace players like that at the back end at your depth chart. But if one of these Auburn interior defensive linemen is down there at 29, if you're going to preach best player available, I kind of think that's that's going to help your cause as well. Best player available to position need. You can't take a, a defensive lineman a second year in a row. Uh, that's the same. Like, I think you need a wide receiver who's taking Corey Davis's place next year and can squeeze out. Well, I love the Khalif Raymond story. I like Cam Batson a lot. 
but they're never going to be too much more than they are now. You need a better version of those guys to push Corey Davis, who's not going to be on the roster next year, and it's a great wide receiver class. But can you take a wide receiver in the first or second round this year after you've taken the fifth overall pick in the draft not too long ago and a second rounder last year? I think you got to spread out some of these positions and you've taken a couple wide receivers relatively recently. Um, so I lean heavily cornerback. I'm curious about the running backs. I think you can find, look, Antoine Woods is a guy they never should have let get away who then led yeah. to Sylvester Williams, who then led to, you know, Sylvester Williams contract would have just expired. If, if oh no! I remember. I remember talking about this with you and Rex Road at the combine, like the Sylvester Williams contract. That's that's something that uh, John's going to get off the hook for, mostly because it's the nose tackle, and people aren't paying that close attention to how much you're actually paying a nose tackle. That was an egregious contract, and, and that led to Benny Logan. He finally got off of chasing those guys. Josh Klein would have been going into the last year of his contract. He's now been cut by. Minnesota also, I don't know if he landed on his feet anywhere uh, yet. And, I mean, he's a serviceable player, but he's been overpaid now by two teams in a row. So, uh, God bless him. But at cornerback, I mean, this team has Malcolm Butler and Adoree Jackson, the third cornerback now. Can you name him? I mean, it's Ty Smith. Ty Smith's not on the roster. He's a restricted free agent. Uh, I mean, who is it? It's not – it's not – but they don't, I, it's, it's Kareem not, Moore. I was just about to. I'm going through the undrafted players because I was thinking. I was thinking. Uh, oh God, who's the guy they signed from Arizona? But he's an unrestricted free agent too. Tremaine um, Brock. And I think Tremaine, Tremaine Brock's Brock. got off-field stuff that makes it makes him a worry. Uh, and he did a good yeah. job up until Kansas City, and everybody gets roasted by Kansas City. They got to get Ty Smith back, but he's your fourth. They need a third cornerback, and they need to replenish the cornerback depth. I was in love with LaShawn Sims, and I know they have time to replenish these things. But three, three seventh-round picks, I mean, they've hit on one. In the John Robinson era, sixth and seventh rounders, they've hit on one player. Um, and I'm not counting Corey Levin because they gave up on him. They've hit on David Long. And, I mean, look, uh, there's no guarantee David Long's good, but so far it's been good. But they haven't hit on anybody Me? else. Well, and the seventh round picks, the more I look at it, the more I look at that as something that could be packaged. Like seventh round picks, three of them does you does you little to nothing when, when so many of those guys hardly make a roster. Like I think that's a part of something larger when we see John John's pretty pretty uh, he doesn't he doesn't flinch at the idea of moving up or, or down more more often than not up in the draft. I think that's more likely what that draft capital is going to be used for, but you're, I mean, you're spot on with the corner stuff. There's just, they, they desperately need speed. They need coverage ability. If they're not going to have this overwhelming rush, that's typically been the way that we've seen teams like the Titans, what the Titans are trying to be. I know that the Patriots connection is easy to draw, but when you look at Bill Belichick and the way that he built defenses, you kind of see a lot of that in John Robinson's construction where you're going to pay guys, that you know can be relied upon, that you can help, that you can help call your defense based off the coverage that they provide. Adoree, I think, shows at times 
that he can be that player. Malcolm Butler has solid moments, but overall, uh, I don't think he's a terribly consistent player. They have to have they have to have somebody at corner that they can rely on with regularity, and it's going to be a lot to ask of a rookie throwing into that spot. But if it's not a first round pick, it's got to be a second. They have to address it somehow. Yeah, and then I think you'd probably take one uh, with one of those seventh uh, project project guy, um, and, and you'd you'd probably take your best cracks with undrafted free agent stuff offering opportunity because you, you do have some opportunity to offer. Hey, you, uh, as a parting thing here, you, you were asking Vrabel and um, Robinson kind of how they've gone through COVID-19 on a, on a personal level with quarantine and uh, social distancing and the like. Uh, You want to tell the people where you're headed with that? Yeah, I, I'm looking, I'm looking for how people, how, how people relate to guys or, or figures in sports like John and Mike who are experiencing a lot of the same things that they're going through. I think Nashville right now is, is, is in a particularly fragile state with the past month that they've gone through between all of the wreckage of the tornado across Middle Tennessee and now almost three weeks into quarantine and, and the idea of social distancing and, and that this thing may not peak really in the state of Tennessee. I've seen some projections that CNN is doing until April 26th. And, and I think John, Mike, Mike kind of went the, the direction of, you know, no complaining, no whiners. We live a very lavish lifestyle, very, very much in the, in the same vein as, you know, put your damn cameras down and help pick up branches during the tornado tornado like that. That's kind of where I expected Brable to go with it. But Robinson, I think, I think there's legitimately been some kind of effect on him. And, and Joe Diffie is somebody who people in Nashville identify with. I'm not a huge country music fan, but to hear John kind of talk about him and his wife meeting Joe Diffie, who obviously passed away very recently and very fast uh, after being diagnosed with COVID-19 just kind of these relatability, these human connection points for fans to understand that, you know, these guys are going through the same kind of thing. And, and on a larger point, they, a lot of these guys, the NFL pushing forward with the draft the way that it is when the preeminent NFL reporter in the country, Adam Schefter, is saying that they're holding this thing amid the wreckage. You know, I know Roger Goodell put out the memo almost threatening people from saying anything publicly about the draft, but these guys have to be in pretty, pretty difficult positions because they're putting their staff at risk too, by asking them to perform what I think most people would call a non-essential duty. Definitely non-essential. I think they should hold it. I think, I mean, and I'm not saying that from a selfish perspective, midday one eighties, not having any problem finding stuff to talk about uh, without Titan stuff going on. But I think free agency gave people some sense of normalcy. It's a sports thing that doesn't entail any uh, violation of of the protocols that are in place for us to be safe. I don't think the draft is going to require any. Um, And I think people are dying for anything that gives them a sense of normalcy. You're probably getting compliments on your pods doing that. We're getting compliments on our show doing that. And there's not too much that's doing that. And so 
I think I don't I don't know that the way the league is being heavy heavy handed with it is the right way, but I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And so if you keep pushing it off, I don't know what that accomplishes necessarily. And I think on those nights, there's things are going to feel normal for a couple hours for NFL fans. And I think that's not, that's going to be a good thing. I'm not afraid to say from, from my vantage point and from the vantage point of a lot of people I know and deal with, I think that'll be a good thing. Um, now, you know, things probably get thrown off schedule wise after that, because the things that happen in the NFL after that involve people of dealing with each other face to face and touching each other, quite frankly, on the shoulders at the very least, um, in shorts without helmets on. And, and that's not going to happen. And that's, that's just fine, but I don't have a huge bit and I'm, I have no problem knocking the NFL, but I don't think they've really mismanaged this as badly as a lot of people. Uh, cast it and I haven't heard Schefter's rant yet um, so you know maybe he'll change my mind if it's uh, a convincing argument but as of now I, I don't have a huge beef how about you I my my issue is what football does what what any sports ent- entity does because we see WWE pushing forward with Wrestlemania with Gronk as the host in front of an empty arena and that's there's some sports entity that's going to try and take advantage of this void that we all have in our lives where ESPN is currently replaying uh, game seven of the Cleveland Golden State Final. We just need something sports related to help take our minds off all of these things. And I don't disagree that that's, I don't disagree that that's good for, for the psyche at this point, just to have some distraction. Because I mean, I don't know about you, Chief, but I, I turn on the news and it's just so consistently bleak day after day after day, and, and you can't escape this thing wherever you go, that, that it is good for people to have this break in things. But even to put on a television production like the draft, even if it is done totally remotely, I just think you're kind of putting people at risk. The scale of something like that to put on is going to involve a ton of different production people and involve a bunch of different directors, talent. You're going to have people gathering for draft parties for these prospects, whether they're done remotely or not. I just think at a time when I'm not even sure if I can see my grandparents or give them a hug because God knows I look like something that might carry COVID-19 and a hug may kill my 82-year-old grandmother. I just, the risk with this thing being in less than a month at this point, I just don't see that it's worth it. Just to show um, our age differential your grandmother's 82. My mother is 86. Yeah, so, I know. you're getting old. It's okay. I still love you. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> as but, soon as you figure out how to work the Skype angles, it's okay. You yeah, just can't I'm stare down. Worried. I'm not worried about the Skype angles. I just think when you find the most unflattering picture you can get, you might take another picture. I, I'd just be I, okay with that. I don't know. I heard it turned into this this weird lashing out at fat people that apparently you're you're coming after all of the fat people in Nashville and, and this has been set aflame because Chad took an unflattering picture of you. I think yeah. this is this no. is something we need to explore. It's really over. My thing isn't against fat people, though people say I have a thing with fat people. And I do have a thing with the fat, like the very fat, who are a burden on, on society because we're paying <laughs> medical bills for them because they have no self-control 
Um, but I, I also have a huge beef with people. My thing is self-awareness. If you're fat and you don't know you're fat, that bothers me. Like if I'm bald, but if I didn't know I was bald, that would bother me. Um, uh, people who are short and don't know it, like John Rich, he's got a Napoleon complex. That bothers me. But we both know a guy who sits around like posting on Instagram with a towel around his neck as if he just had a huge workout, yet the guy has not lost a pound in three or four years. But he's constantly talking about I'm at my protein shake after my big workout. And then I don't know why nobody close to him says, dude, these workouts are doing nothing for you. You are exactly the same size, if not fatter. Somebody needs to tell these people from close range that the workout program is not working. They need a better trainer or something, or that protein shake is actually estrogen. I, I, I don't know what's going on, but people lacking self-awareness need people around them who offer the self-awareness for them. That's my Here's job. the thing. Here, and we, we all greatly appreciate you policing these social media streets, but here's the thing that you have to keep in mind, and, and maybe this is the point that I leave you with, Chief, but when you are looking at people my age, because the person that you're referencing is near my age, a little older, but when you see people like this posting on social media so often and kind of framing the way that their life is supposed to look, you have to consider how deeply unhappy those people probably are because they are taking such efforts to make their life look that much more enjoyable on social media. That's the in prism the, that you have to view. In through. the words Thanks of through. Elaine Bennett, fake, 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 fake. I don't like fat. I like real, authentic, organic. Buck Rising is some of those things, at least some of the time. I appreciate him uh, broadcasting with me. I hope your uh, tornado recovery um, is is good. It sucks that uh, something bigger um, and and uh, more sweeping. I shouldn't say bigger, but more more sweeping has uh, stolen the attention um, from that. And uh, we need to talk to you on Midday 180 about that. We're trying to be sure to hit on tornado recovery and efforts um, at least once a week to remind people um, to keep that in mind with all that's going on in Nashville and around the country at the same time. And you're, you're the guy that we know um, who was most affected by that. So uh, we wish you well on that front. I appreciate you joining us. Check out Buck. Uh, if you're not following him on Twitter, you should be at Buck Rising. Uh, check out um, his work and the fine work of his colleagues at A to Z. Um, do you have a regular schedule of pods or should people just subscribe and let them hit them in so the face? The, uh, the, the primetime show, A to Z Sports Primetime, on Facebook and on Periscope, Sunday to Thursday that. night at 8 p.m. Central Time. The 615 Sessions podcast comes out every Tuesday and Thursday, so rate, review, and subscribe. In the same place that you find the Paul Kaharski podcast, we are available in all of the same platforms, and the chief has been uh, kind enough to grace us with his presence several times. The, the biggest and the best of the 615 sessions feature the great Paul Kaharski. 
I appreciate it, bro. Be well. And uh, I'd say I, I'll see you. I'll see you on uh, social media at the very least. Um, and I got nothing else to say. Drink Yazoo beer, you and everyone out there. I appreciate their support. I appreciate your support. Don't block the box. Do lock the locks. Cheers, everybody. The Paul Kaharski Podcast is a joint production of paulkaharski.com and Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.